You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Richard Franzi, and this is podcast episode number 1,232, and this is interview number 1,432. No, 546, excuse me. We've been on the air since March of 2009, and we're the longest-running business podcast in Orange County, California. The fortunes of any business rest in the hands of its leaders and its people. But what really creates a workplace in which everyone thrives is deeper than the latest engagement tool. It's emotional connection. CEO of Best Practice Institute and the author of In Great Company, Lewis Carter, is here to share the five ways to build expert tips and advice within a company. Lewis, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. Thanks, Richard, for having me today. Appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. I'm excited to have you on and talk about your book. It's The full title is In Great Company, How to Achieve Peak Performance by Creating an Emotionally Connected Workspace. Can you talk about what the main idea is within your book? main idea is the way to really create a profitable business is to connect to employees and the customer without really truly knowing and developing a strategy that focuses on employees and customers, you won't have a business. I say this to all the startups. If you don't have cash flows because customers aren't buying your product, therefore there really isn't a unique selling proposition. Customers and employees have to really connect to that value proposition and then expand upon that value proposition from the CEO level by creating strategies and practices that bring you into the future. And um, we're going to talk, as I said in the open, about the five ways and et cetera, some of the content in your book. But what was your inspiration, Lewis, for writing this book? In Great Company is based upon all of the years of research that I've done and best practices and the companies I've found things that work and some things that don't work. And I found there's some basic tenets, really, for it, and that it's really pretty simple. People don't really want extra foosball tables and slides in the cafeteria, not hating on foosball tables and slides. It's it's just that people really do want these core levels of respect. And I've been in that pool as well inside of organizations 20 years ago when I first decided to start my own business really to create that kind of culture because I noticed that in the in the world uh, it, respect isn't rampant you have to develop your own respect circles and get respect back from people and have that kind of immediate conversation at the, in the beginning so that it's understood throughout and and spark really that connection between people and know that those are the relationships that are best the ones that give you and you give to it, so life is better as a result of having each other in it. So when you wrote the book, and who, who, who did you have in mind? You know, I like to ask authors, you know, what's the target audience? Who out there in the business world, or maybe not just in the business world, but really should be the people that read your book, Lewis? CEOs are perfect for this because, and, and it's, it's really, they, it starts and ends with them. I say this to everybody, it's the truth. 
if, if at the CEO level, if you whether it's a small to large organization, if uh, your strategy is not in place and you don't and and uh, you see the the behavioral and change aspects towards or traditional change aspects of your of your program, it's not going to win. So you know, eighty percent of of change efforts fail, according to McKenzie. So what about those other twenty percent? Well, the other 20% take into account at the top level that behavioral change aspect, which is transformational change that happens at the top down, and the more transactional trend, uh, change that, that must occur. If we just focus on transactional change, like new strategies or alliances or cost-cutting, without doing that other aspect of behavioral change, you're going to lose. Lewis, in the in the research that you did for this book, did you? So, so let me let me think how I'm going to ask this question. Is this something that your research showed was a was it somewhat of an outgrowth of the um, of having multi generations in the workforce, or was this something that is universal, like uh, 20 years ago or 50 years ago, with a different kind of makeup of the workforce? The principles in your book would have made sense for the CEOs to employ at that time as well. Did did I ask that in the right way? That kind of gave the clear point of where I'm trying to go with the question. I think that's the, the beauty of the book, really, is that it is they are universal truths. And you know what what's true 40 years ago would be true today. Okay. Inside this research, and I, I always when people ask me about the that generational differences, I know there's so much research that goes into it. I have a an answer that I tell everybody in, in the audience, which is this: It doesn't matter what generation you're in, you're still going to have the same issues that uh, and challenges that an entry level employee has that in a different generation. It, it, you just go through these iterations of development like one may have uh, growing up or, or one may have uh, in, in any part of your life cycle or work cycle. So if these are universal truths that are evident throughout the workplace and really in life as well. So you mentioned earlier in the interview, and uh, today we're talking with Lewis Carter. We're talking about his latest book, In Great Company, How to Achieve Peak Performance by Creating an Emotionally Connected Workforce. You used the word respect. And I'm wondering if I could kind of come back, bring you back to that point, and sort of for the CEOs and business owners that are listening here on Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast today, what is your definition of that kind of mutual respect? What, what do you mean by that term, sir? Respect is the new currency in the workplace. It's just been shown time and again in, in this particular research, and it's reciprocal. So when given, it's it, obviously it's, you, you get it back, and it has to be a, a currency-based. What do I mean by that? It, 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 when you think of negotiation, it's giving somebody something and then getting that in return, whether it's something that will help them become more successful, help the organization become more successful, or giving them something that's needed within the way that they communicate or request or desire to communicate or feel belonging. The big word around this, organizational psychology word around this is super important, is called psychological safety, originally coined by the uh, Harvard professor Amy Edmondson, and it's shown throughout time if you don't have that psychological safety in a relationship, you start to lose currency. <laughs> and it's like Jackie Robinson uh, once once said, you know, he, he doesn't care. I don't care if you're my friend or not. I just asked you to give me respect. 
So, you know, it's, it's not really about friendship at work anymore. It's about giving of respect so you can do your job to the best of your ability and then feed the rest of your life. Well, that's powerful. I want to kind of peel that back just a second because as you said that respect is reciprocal, I made a note to ask you, is, did your research show that disrespect is reciprocal? In other words, a, bad, <laughs> a boss who disrespects the employees, do they get that back from their employee population? I would think they would, but I just want your, what's your research show? That's an awesome question. We looked at the dark side of respect inside the book because there's there's a dark side to emotional connectedness. You'd imagine, right? Yes. Not all of it is fluffy at all, and and in fact, uh, karma exists. <laughs> so uh, when when you when you when you forget about that foundational aspect, it's not just about attrition at all. So th- this is what happens. So in a, in a, in an era of, of disrespect or in a in a leadership. Uh, situation where there is disrespect, you have 2% of the people leaving those situations. Okay, that's typically, that's what we found. The other 98% stay, oh boy. cash their paycheck, and make everybody else's lives a living hell. Now, what does that really mean? So that means that you have people inside of your company right now, most likely, who have perceptions of you, right or wrong, doesn't matter. Real or perceived does not matter. That may or may not be helping you. So you have to dive into those conversations, get the intel from them, make them stakeholders in your relationships so you can start really knowing what people's perceptions are. And if you want, change them those perceptions, or clarify your own intentions toward whatever universal truth you both need. You know, you're talking about respect and some of the, um, some of the context with which you were, you've been framing it. I also think of as trust. At some level, there needs to be this trust between uh, employees of companies at various levels. And in, in any relationship, emotional connection, it's sort of built on this idea of trust. And, and so in your work, how did trust blend into or did it the, the aspect of respect? Well, trust is defined as doing what you say you're going to do. So what we looked at is companies that did not do what they say they're going to do and others that, that did what they say they're going to do. So let's look at some that, that did things that uh, didn't do things they said they were going to do. Frank Borman, Eastern Airlines, great example. Uh, you, you know, was, was, uh, people were on track to give, uh, be given uh, you know, raises and, and stay and get, be taken off the uh, strike line. But what Frank did instead was he said to them, you're going to be voting on your job tomorrow when you decide not to come off the picket line. Well, what happened to Eastern Airlines? It went belly up the next day. So that kind of trust that he established with his company and with his employees was severely broken because he didn't establish that kind of respect and trust with them while they were on the picket lines so that they can get what, what, they were, what they were really promised as employees. And as a result, of course, they went bankrupt and, 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 and taken over. So that's a really, that's the dark side of trust and respect and emotional connectedness. The bright side of it are examples like NASA when they brought on SpaceX. And they had this great positive future where, where they created these private uh, strategic collaborations. And it enabled the company to grow as a result. And that kind of trust built as a, as a result of those kinds of awesome new new collaborations, great strategy. <clears throat> or, for that matter, what for what WD40 does with Gary Ridge, he has a he has a tribal 
uh, it, he's the chief of the tribe there, and they promise to help families and to help each other. And when somebody's down at that company or something wrong with their uh, something with their family that's an issue, the whole tribe comes together to help that family. And they're always there. There's there's no holes in it. And we always call them. They're, they're, we never let paper cuts happen to customers because mm. the minute a, a, cu- a customer feels that paper cut, it's hard for them to want to come back. This is interesting. Lewis Carter is our guest. We're talking about the research that underpins his latest book, In Great Company, How to Achieve Peak Performance by Creating an Emotionally Connected Workplace. When you conducted your research, did you see a difference in the ability and the actual emotional connectedness uh, based on companies' size? Or was size kind of not a control factor or something that impacted um, what you saw how leaders could build respect and high trust workplaces size it went across size geography industry it it, it, it was universal we called it, it we like we took it we call it a unidimensional construct in in uh, in, in od which meant that it, it's it it's you it's all encompassing <laughs> and so the five aspects really were of we call it spark sparking emotional connectedness were what makes a most loved workplace Beyond any industry uh, size, uh, it, it, there were these universal truths that remain evident, again, in all companies and sizes. So it really doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is the degree of, of how functional you are as a leader and how strong you are uh, with your strategy and intentional purpose and vision. So we have uh, a few minutes left here on Critical Mass Radio Show and podcast with you, Lewis. And, and I think now's the time to sort of say, let's go through the table of contents. In other words, in the open, I talked about uh, the five ways, and you've mentioned that as well. Could you, for our audience, just sort of highlight the IP and the best practices? Sure. Yep. So, so in every relationship, we look at it in four areas. How I look at myself, self. Uh, and, and, and work with myself in these four areas. How we look at our individual relationships, how I work with my team and my organization. So SIDO, self, individual, team, and organization. And we place in these at five different aspects that we looked at, which was a unidimensional construct, which is systemic collaboration. That was this S in this part. P is positive future. Three is alignment of values. R is respect. And K is killer outcomes. And so, so what there's... If we said, you and I said to each other right now, how do you best want to collaborate in, 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 to make so that we both win, right? We answer the question together. P, what is our future? What do we want to create with our futures? And by the way, these are companies do this. Obviously, they show clear visions and goals for the company. We rally around it, just like individuals do. What are the values of the company, and do I align with them? Are we aligned in our values? Respect. How do I res- how I respect others, and how do I want to be respected? Again, shows up in the book. You'll see it in terms of uh, Tom Colditz with his his uh, he's the brigadier general, and uh, how we work with uh, Korean augmentee soldiers and U.S. soldiers, and how we form a culture of respect. Killer outcomes. So many examples. Uh, Amazon, Netflix, Reed Hastings done. Jeff Bezos has done to formulate that co- those kinds of outcomes. And just recently in the news how they created their new purpose statements. And some say, well, are they really going to do this for customers? They question it, right? But they came together and they talked about their purpose statements, what they're going to do for their 
stakeholders, not just shareholders. They change it to their stakeholders. So we all become stakeholders. It's not just that Milton Friedman approach to, to helping shareholders. It's more now current and conscious looking at our, how, how we all are being helped as, as stakeholders of the company. Well, that's you really brought in recent uh, developments because as I read that press release, frankly, and the coverage of it, I thought, well, they're moving towards conscious capitalism without kind of saying those words in how they're looking at their entire stakeholders now, just not just their shareholders, which I thought was a, a huge move, kind of an acknowledgement and the support for this idea that you have more people that are dependent on your company that you need to care about than just the people who own the stock. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Wasn't it great to read that? Yes. It's such a huge change from the first time they had that. I know. Right. But then the natural skepticism is, because it's been so ingrained that it's not been that way, are they really going to do that versus just make a press release and make a pledge and then go back to the ways that they were doing business beforehand? So time will tell, won't it? Wouldn't it be cool if they wrote a letter to themselves that they mail? Yes. <laughs> and then we actually went ahead and did some metrics around it. Said, did this really happen? Did they really did redefine stakeholders? And how do the stakeholders feel about it? And how they perceive it? Right? Wouldn't right. that be amazing? Yes. And, uh, well, maybe yeah, that's a future yeah. book. I don't know. I don't know what you're researching right now, Lewis. But maybe, <laughs> maybe. I like it. I think we just co-created it. Okay. I'll, I'll do that. Um, we only have a few minutes left here on the radio show. I, I wondered, are there other resources available through you, through your organization, Best Practice Institute, to kind of support and benefit the reader, to kind of help them implement and use these tools more effectively? There's two things. We have a, a benchmark research consortium where SVPs of talent management take part in a year-long uh, process where they benchmark with each other as well as get uh, custom research and uh, develop their own next practice and really uh, you focus on developing what they want inside their company. So they take this actionably and implement it inside their company. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a very core offering. And the other is that is really um, the book itself and Great Company doing work with the CEO and their top teams and their boards and saying, let's really discuss how we can make this specific to the strategy and having large group meetings with the strategy at play and breakout groups of, of uh, triads and dyads and uh, large group discussions and bringing it to the to people, really, so they can feel like they're a big part of that overall vision and purpose. So before I ask you how people can find you in your book, um, what did you learn that you didn't know before you researched and wrote this book as it relates to what we've just talked about today? The degree to which people really, truly seek and need emotional connection, the, 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 the requirement that people have is so deep and, and, and uh, to become part of something that's larger than themselves. It, it became a spiritual aspect for people asking them these questions. Everybody was saying, I really need this. If, if I don't get it, I'm going to either leave or, or be super angry. I said, whoa, it's going to take us back. I'm like, really? And I got all these stories from people about how angry they were at their, their employees. They didn't listen to me. I wasn't, I was on, I, they, I never was able to create. And it's, it's so, there's so much anger. I heard the anger. And, and that, that was my biggest learning in the book was this, 
just the deep anger that exists in the world and and the garbage really that that is created as a result and the necessity to become emotionally intelligent in 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 the world today with 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 so much pain and anguish interesting so lewis carter if someone would like to learn more about you and your organization and also find out more about your book in great company where would you suggest they go online Go to lewiscarter.com. Uh, that's that's me, uh, Lewis Carter, uh, and go or go to bestpracticeinstitute.org. It's an it's an association. Uh, so Lewis Carter and In Great Company will get you right there. Get to my book and and my other eleven books too. Uh, check them out and uh, yeah, check. Just come online. Uh, drop me an email at lou at bestpracticeinstitute.org as well. I'll talk to you anytime. We'll make an appointment. So there's more than one way to spell Lewis. How do you spell it? <laughs> I spell it L-O-U-I-S and C-A-R-T-E-R, Lewis Carter. Uh, well, thank you for being willing to come on Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast and share some of the insights that is in, that is in your latest book. It's very impressive, and I want to thank you for being a part of the Critical Mass community, sir. Thank you, Richard. I, it's good to be part of your community. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'd also like to thank the engineer for today's show, Paul Roberts, and our wonderful producers, without whom I could not do this show each and every week, Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and you can't see her, but believe me, she's here in the studio, Nicole Terry. If you want to connect with me, I would love that. I am saying, let's do it on LinkedIn. My name is Richard Franzi. Last name is F-R-A-N-Z-I. And until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.